It's great to be here. We are one. Say that with me. We are one. Now, you know, that's not just about us. It's about all kinds of people. And uh, we're going to celebrate the Lord's table after the service together today. And I'm going to talk about how we're <laughs> going crazy without each other. That's the title of my message. Um, I've, I'm having a, a very unusual, special and unusual weekend. Um, this thing fixed. There we go. Anyway, uh, last night um, I I spoke at Xavier High School, which is a Catholic high school. Um, I had a statue of Jesus on one side and I had a statue of Mary on the other. And I spoke to the Catholic uh, Renewal Ministry, uh, their annual convention. And there were hundreds of people there. I talked about the Holy Spirit. And um, one of the bishops of Phoenix washed my feet. It was incredible. Uh, and then this afternoon, my wife and I are flying to California because I'm participating in a, a consecration service for a friend of mine who's been appointed a bishop in the Anglican Church. And he's from Phoenix. He's got a uh, congregation here in Phoenix. And he's going to be having, he's going to have the responsibility of, of ch- their churches in, in nine states. And, uh, and I'm here with you. I mean, it's, it's just... It's, it's a big world, and I think one of the things that God is saying to us is, if, more than anything, is that we need each other. We need each other here in this church. We need the friends that are close to us are in our groups, but we also need the broader expression of the Christian community. It's just amazing. So, with that in mind, let me pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for this special day, for these people, for this memory service. It's about the past, but it's also about the future. We're praying, Lord, for the right person to come and lead this church into its future. And Lord, right now I pray that you will speak to us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. How many, how many of you have had, uh, let's say, at least one difficult time in your life? Okay. How many of you had a hard time getting to church today because, yes, and right now as I'm speaking, we have uh, a new human being having a tough time. Uh, hello there. Ah. All right. Um, speaking of babies, my, uh, my daughter has four children. I may have talked to you a little bit about them. They're um, very active children, 11, 9, 7, and 5. And uh, sometimes it feels like 20. And um, I'll never forget the day that our daughter called us. Her husband was on the phone. They'd been married for five years. And uh, her husband was on the phone. And I answered the phone. And they said, get mom on the phone. And I had no idea what they were wanting to talk to us about. And then with giggles on the other end of the phone, we're going to have a baby. And my wife screams. And. You know, this is her only daughter's first child and turns out to be our first grandson. We had two granddaughters at the time. And, um, I mean, they were just so excited. And um, two years later, you know, our, our grandkids are two years apart. And they've, they've, it's odd. They've always been just two years apart. Um, anyway, two years later, uh, we were in Colorado. They relocated from California to Colorado Springs, and they bought their first house, and uh, they're showing us through the house. It's it's still under construction. We're walking through the house, and they said this is the mass. This could be the master bedroom. They had these t- two 
uh, the four tiny bedrooms upstairs. Um, I think our, our walk-in closet is about the size of one of their bedrooms. And so they, they said, this is our master bedroom, and this is going to be Grant's room, and this is going to be Lauren's room. Uh, this is going to be this is Grant's room, and this is the guest room, and this is going to be the baby's room. And I still remember we're standing there with plywood and studs, and, you know, and this is going to be the baby's room. And it's just kind of like, what? And uh, m- my wife screamed again, and um, we're going to have another baby. That was Lauren. And um, two years later, Marilyn and I were driving to Tucson. I had a meeting down in Tucson. Marilyn was uh, driving. She always drives when I'm in the car with her. Uh, She forbids me to drive. She loves to drive. She hates my driving. So, I mean, if you see us pull up, okay, I haven't lost my driver's license. This is just a family issue. So so anyway, Marilyn, uh, Marilyn answers the phone. Phone rings. Marilyn answers the phone. And, uh, she, and she's, and I, I don't, it's, I, it's Sherry, I can tell it's our daughter Sherry. And she's saying, Marilyn is saying, well, that's okay. Um, that's not a problem. You don't have to be ashamed of that. And I'm going, what's going on? She handed me the phone. Mary said, uh, Sherry says to me, we're going to have another baby. You know, it's like all the joy was gone. And this was not exactly a planned child, okay, and she took a home pregnancy test, and it was positive. And she said, when she saw the positive, she said something you're not allowed to say in church. Okay? It, it wasn't like a blessing, okay? And so she called us, and Jeff wasn't on the phone, and I don't even know if he knew that she was talking to us. So Caitlin was born, you know, six, seven months later. And uh, Caitlin had all kinds of problems. I mean, she has just been a troubled child. And when she was first born, her, uh, she contracted, uh, um, it's a respiratory, RSV. Yeah, she contracted a respiratory infection. We were there shortly after Caitlin was born, and she contracted this infection, and she had to go back to the hospital, and she could hardly breathe. And, you know, my, my daughter was holding her. My daughter looks like, you know, she just got released from a prison camp because the other kids are screaming and yelling. She's there sitting there nursing the baby, and uh, the baby's on oxygen, and Lauren keeps unplugging the oxygen machine. She's two years old. Some of you can identify with this, right? You know, and um, uh, so my wife was holding Caitlin, and uh, my wife, to this day, I, she can hardly handle me telling the story because she was holding Caitlin, and Kate, Caitlin was gasping for every breath. And uh, she thought, she thought she was going to lose the baby right there, that Caitlin was going to die in her arms. She still has that memory. You know, it's, I don't remember if I told you this, but it's, it's really hard to raise children. And, uh, and they don't appreciate a thing you do for them until they have children. Then they call and complain, you know, about their kids. And I just say, praise the Lord, this is great, you know. Um, you know, it's a, uh, it's what goes around comes around, you know? And uh, uh, I, did I tell you this? That I believe uh, there's a promise in God's word uh, to, grand, uh, to grandparents, to parents. Okay, if you're, how many of you are raising children? Okay, so there's a, there's a promise in God's word if you're raising children. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. And that happens when they have children. Okay, now...
Um, <clears throat> you know that grandchildren are a reward for not killing your children. <laughs> this is such a spiritual message. <laughs> well, I, I, I said all of that. But, or did, I, did I tell you about my, my, my daughter-in-law, Kate? I think I talked about her and she was nursing the baby. It was her first baby. had a really tough time and some, some of you didn't hear me tell the story. So I got to just throw this in because it just so fits the message, you know. Uh, she was nursing the baby. She had had a very hard, uh, very, very difficult delivery. And uh, it was a long and painful. And, and she had a bleeding issue. And she was under, had, had to drug her. It was, just, it was just a nightmare. And she's n- nursing this baby. And she, again, she's sitting, you know, she's kind of trying to recover from this trauma. And, uh, <clears throat> I sa- you know, I said, sometimes I say things I, I shouldn't say. They just come to me. And I said to Kate, I said, do you hear that sucking sound? That's going to last at least 20 years. <laughs> so <clears throat> she just stared at me. You know, thanks, Dad. You're not even my dad. Anyway, um, I said all of that to get to my first point. I got three simple points in my message today. Here's my first point. Giving life to others is seldom painless. Now, this is what the ministry is about, but it's not just about the ministry. It's about, it's about the calling of God on our lives, that we're not to live for ourselves, we're to live for others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and then love yourself like crazy. Is that what the Bible says? Love your neighbor as yourself, which is really hard to do. First thing God says to Adam and Eve, the first thing he says to them, be, be fruitful and multiply. You know, you can have children, and people want to have children until they have had children. You know, uh, it, it's in us to give our lives to others. And I, I think a woman having a child is the most incredible expression of sacrifice, not just in the pregnancy and in giving birth, but in nursing the child, nurturing the child, Staying home with the child. I was with my, with my niece and her husband this last week. I was in Texas for a couple of days for a conference. And she's got two children. And she said, all I do is clean up the kitchen and pick up toys. That's all I do. That's her whole life. Her husband is a pilot for American Eagle. And he goes off and flies all over the country. And she's cleaning up the kitchen and picking up toys. And when I walked into the house, I thought, Wow. They got a lot of toys. That was the first thing I thought, you know, and that's all she does. And, and uh, you, you, have this, okay, um, you have this incredible sacrifice uh, in families to get children into life. It takes years and years and years. My daughter and her husband changed diapers for nine straight years okay, because the kids are so close and never had a break without diapers until Lukey, when I think he was like four, finally decided not to do it in his pants. So the point is this, all right? The point, again, is this is giving life to others is seldom painless. Okay, this, this is what life is all about. It's about giving our lives to others, making a commitment uh, to be married to someone for your whole life, having children, you know, having people live next door to you, having in-laws, working with people that are hard to get along with, and it's never, it's, as long as it's about you, your life will be miserable. But it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
And when Jesus said that, Paul, uh, Paul quoted that in the book of Acts, not in reference to giving money to the church or anybody else. He quoted it in reference to the sacrifices that we have to make for the sake of others. It's more blessed to give than to receive. So here's how the, the Apostle Paul describes life. Uh, and this is in the verse. It's also there in your notes today, I believe. But it's also on the screen. Uh, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. How many of you have heard that verse? You know, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. People t- today, it's just part of our, our jargon, our language, fighting the good fight. That comes from the book of Timothy. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. His appearing. Now, the question is, what are your, what are your metaphors of life? Okay, what are your metaphors of life? How do you describe life? They lived happily ever after. Life is a bowl of cherries, you know, a bed of roses. What, what, how do you describe? What are your expectations from life? Here's how Paul, these are the metaphors that Paul uses, okay? For Paul, ministry and life was a fight and a race, okay? A fight and a race. Now, you know, when you see two people fighting, whether it's road rage or, uh, you know, you happen to overhear a conflict and people are, are, you know, uh, domestic anger and abuse, my, my nephew is a police officer, and he said most of the calls he gets are about um, fights at home. He's got go to go to the door, and he's got to break up the fight because, between a husband and a wife, a wife. It's crazy. I mean, you see that, and it's just, it's just really horrible. You see two people fighting, um, you know, just beating the heck out of each other. Um, Paul is talking about a fight. You know, you watch this ultimate fighting. I can't, I can't watch that. You know, it's just like, how can anybody do that, you know? Um, in a race. Now, Paul isn't talking here about, you know, last one to the, to the van after church is a rotten egg. He's not talking about sprinting. He's talking about the races that everybody knew about at that time. The marathon, running miles and miles. Have you ever seen the finish of the marathon in the Olympics when the, the winner, the first, the, the, the runner in first place, comes into the stadium and everybody gets to their feet. I mean, it's like a zombie. You know, they're, they're just, they look, they, and, and they cross the finish line and just collapse. Okay. So life is a journey. Uh, there are moments of great joy, but there are also moments of extraordinary difficulty and challenge. I like to say life is like a day at Disneyland. You, feel, you, you spend a few seconds on the rides and the rest of the day standing in line in the heat. All right, now, um, look at Ephesians, look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Paul says, for our struggle is not, uh, he says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, uh, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is a a well-known, we're not ready to go there yet. This is a well-known passage uh, and you, you've all heard this, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, right? That word struggle in the Greek text, Paul talks about, I've fought the good fight. Well, this word struggle he uses here in Ephesians is a gladiator term. How many of you have seen the gladiator? It's a chick flick. 
It's a violent, bloody movie. And in the gladiator, the object of the game, and it's not just two gladiators, sometimes there are whole teams of gladiators, the object of the game is to kill everybody else on the other team. You know, some of you are Seahawks fans, maybe. Some of you are New England Patriots fans, I can't imagine. Okay. Uh, but, you know, maybe, you know, we hope, I hope at this point, I don't like either team, but I hope at this point, I don't like the, I don't like the Patriots. I hope at this point that the Seahawks kill the Patriots. All right. Okay, now think for a minute, okay? How long have you watched football? I've watched football, basketball, baseball. You know, I've never seen anybody killed. Okay? The worst I ever saw was um, uh, the guy who played shortstop for the Diamondbacks a few years, Stephen Drew, sliding into home plate, and somehow he turned his ankle 180 degrees. And he reached down, his ankle was aimed the wrong way, reached down and turned his ankle the right way. That was the worst I'd ever seen. Once in a while, you know, you see this in sports. Somebody breaks a leg, tears an ACL. But nobody, nobody ever dies. Nobody gets killed. In the Roman games, the object was to kill everybody on the other team. And this is the kind of struggle that Paul is talking about. In the message by Eugene Peterson, he perfectly brings out the meaning of this Greek term, where he says this in the message, translation of the New Testament. This is no afternoon Let's go to the next slide here. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps. A life and death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. Life is a spiritual battle. It's about the souls of of men and women, the purpose of their lives. And, And there's so much darkness, so much devastation in our world. And God has called us to be vessels of, of his power, of his word, of his hope, of his life, of his kingdom in the face of a very dark world. And it's not always easy to move forward. There are lots of reasons just to give up. Some people have reasons to take their own life, they think. I had a very dear cousin. We traveled the world together. He got married, had two small children, and he just couldn't make it anymore. He took his own life. Because life sometimes is a fight to the finish. So that brings us uh, to this next verse. We come back to 2 Timothy chapter 4. You know, it's a famous passage. Um, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And then Paul says, you know, he sounds really, this is kind of like a a frontier statement. You know, I I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I I finished the race. I kept the faith. You know, I can do it. You know, the next verse, Paul says, do your best to come to me quickly. You know, he's not as self-reliant as you might think. He says, come to me quickly, which brings me to my second simple lesson. The first uh, lesson is that life is very difficult, and giving life to others is seldom painless. And the second point is everybody needs somebody. Say that with me. Everybody needs somebody. Even the Apostle Paul. Pastors need people like, like Timothy to love us, to affirm us. We need together, we need a community of grace. We, we need groups. We need accountable relationships. Okay? 
There will always be good people around you to cheer you on. But, you, you know, you've got to invest in others. And as you invest in others, they will invest in you. Um, I like to say this. We need other people. We need this community. This is a one community church. We need our community. We need our relationships as much as we need Jesus. If you don't need, if you don't, uh, you know, you say, well, I don't need to go to church. You know, if, if, if we could just get along with Jesus, and a lot of people do, uh, they, try, they try that. If, if you think you can do that, you, it's not going to work because it's not just about you and God on your own. It's about all of us in community helping each other, supporting each other, encouraging each other. Have you ever, have you ever heard this verse, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 13 and 14? No, uh, go back. Yeah, that, right here. That's correct. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Say that with me. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. How many of you have heard that verse before? It's one of the top ten verses in the Bible. And, you know, we want to say, I can do everything uh, through Christ who gives me strength in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. But just like, you know, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. But Timothy, come to me quickly. You know, this is not the end of the, of the chapter. I have asked this question in I don't know how many settings. I've asked it across the breakfast table to other pastors. I've asked this question at pastors' conferences, Church of God pastors' conferences. What's the next verse? I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Did you know the next verse begins with the word yet? Look at the next verse. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Because we need each other. We need each other as much as we need Jesus. You know, God, he looked at Adam. When God finished each day of creation, what did he say? It is good. God looked at Adam, everything is good, and he said something is not good. What did God say? There's no sin in the world, but God looked at Adam and he said, it is not good, what? For man to be alone. Okay, you know, he's, he's a happy creature. He's got all the goats and sheep and horses and dogs. And he's taking care of the garden, and he's just whistling away his day But, you know, he's not really fully developing as a human being. He needs a woman to intrude in his life. (laughs) A woman, you know, they're both naked and he says, ooh la la. She says, ha ha ha. Um, <clears throat> it's not good. God made a woman out of man. This is interesting. And, and in so doing, he created a need in every one of us for each other. He created a, a, a relentless interdependence. He created us in such a way that we can't be an island. We can't live it out on our own. We can't make it. And we especially can't make it when we have problems. Just talk to somebody in recovery. You need 
to be honest. You need, you need a higher power. You need God. And you need regular meetings with people who accept you the way you are, but who will also speak into your life and hold you accountable. All right? So God created a woman he, out, of, out of the man, and he created an interdependence. And uh, he, he called the woman a helpmeet. Okay. And uh, I've always thought that that's kind of a lightweight word, a helpmeet. kind of sounds like a, you know, a servant. Help me fix my meat. You know, um, where, honey, where's my belt? Um, but the word, I did some study on this. The word translated helpmeet, it's, it's the Hebrew word azar, ezer, like uh, Eliezer or Ebenezer. And, and it really carries with it the idea, this, these two words, okay, don't ever forget this, ladies, okay, these two words, I, I found them in a, a high-end, sophisticated dictionary of the Hebrew of the Old Testament. Listen to these two words, divine power. So God is giving Adam a gift of divine power, okay? <laughs> Often when I say this, the women start hooting and cheering, all right? Okay, so uh, it's a gift. And, you know, this is, amen, this is, you see, this is God's intention, that his divine power, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know where I find the strength of Jesus? In my relationship with others who love me, who support me, who affirm me, who correct me, who speak into my life, okay? This is how I become everything that God wants me to be. Um, God looks at all of you here in church today, alone in your problems, alone in your decisions, alone in your fight and race, and God says, not good. It's just not good. Or a husband and wife having problems in their marriage, and they're not willing to talk to anybody else. Oh, we can figure this out. There's too much pride. Listen, my wife and I have asked for counsel. I talked about that last week. You know, I've got, you know, I've got years, decades in the ministry. I have two seminary degrees. I've written ten books. I wrote a book about marriage. My wife and I were having difficulty. And I said to her, read the book. <laughs> she, threw it, she threw it at me. Um, Something about your, your, you know, bleep book, bleeping book, take it. Shove it down your throat, you know. Uh, we, we cannot help ourselves. And one of the, you know, one of the tragic consequences of the fall is human pride. You know, it's not my fault. I didn't do it. You know, I didn't, I wasn't totally at fault. The policeman pulls you over. We talked about that last week, you know. And uh, you, don't, you don't know exactly what you did when you really do, but you can't, you can't really say. You, can't, you just can't admit it. I mean, we got so much pride. But God has created us in such a way that it's only through others in our relationship with others that we can escape who we are. Okay? Look at James chapter 5, verse 14. Is any one of you sick? He should call on the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, 
Look at this next verse. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Confess your sins to each other. I was with Catholics last night, and they all go to confession. And we make fun of that because, you know, you can do whatever you want, and then you just go to talk to the priest, and you get it off your chest, and you're okay. And then you can go back and do it again. I have a friend who's a devout Catholic. He's been a friend for decades. And he said confession is one of the most powerful things in his life. Because God has created us to need each other. And the Bible says, confess your sins to one another. And I'm looking at a bunch of non-Catholic faces, or maybe some of you come from a Catholic background, but the people who have come from a Catholic background or people who have never been in a Catholic church, some of you, maybe most of you, have never confessed a single sin to another human being in your whole life unless they forced you to say it was your fault. And then you wonder why you can't seem to get over the issues that you're facing. God has created you in such a way that you cannot get over what you're going through without God's help and without the help of others, where you actually have to say, help me. I can tell you from my own personal experience, you know, I have been through hell in my life. And the only way I have been able to, to deal with issues... I mean, we've had difficulty with our children. We've had difficulty in our marriage. We've, we've, had difficult, we've, we've had to suffer with difficulties with our grandchildren. And the only way that I've been able to get perspective and hear from God and, and find strength is by talking to others. My wife and I have a prayer team. We meet once a month with four other couples. We call them our pit crew, personal intercessory team. And we meet with him, and we just open our hearts, and we ask him to pray for us and the things that we're struggling with. And I have friends, this, this Anglican priest who's being ordained as a bishop today, he's been a friend for over 20 years. He asked me to stand in with him. He's never had a brother, and it's a very special honor. He's asked me to stand with him in, in the ceremony today, and I consider him my spiritual director. I've been with him. I get together with him once a month. I'm in a covenant group with other pastors. We've talked about our struggles with my my friend Keith, who's an Anglican priest. I've confessed sins to him. But we just hate to do that. We We need each other. Because life is a fight and a race. My my daughter in law, Jill, I was on the phone with her this morning. Uh, she and David live in California. She's always been a great, uh, she's loved sports. She, she was captain of the Mountain View High School swim team, the girls' swim team, and every year they lost to Xavier um, in the finals. They always finished second. And I went to Xavier last night. I spoke at Xavier, and I, I couldn't get that out of my mind. It, w- it wasn't just Catholic. It was the swimming team that kept beating my daughter-in-law's swimming team. You know, But... Uh, <coughs> She ran in the LA Marathon uh, a few years ago, a couple years ago, and, and she was about five miles from the finish. It's 26 miles. She's about five miles from the finish. And there's a woman warming up on the curb with five miles left to go in the race. And just as Jill runs by, this woman hops off, off the curb and starts running in the race. And I didn't know this, and most, most of you probably didn't know this. This happens all the time. People aren't trying to run a short race. They're waiting for their friends to help them finish. And this woman said to Jill, hey, I was waiting for my friend, and 
She called me and said she couldn't finish. So I just picked you out randomly, and I'm going to run with you to make sure you finish. Do you have somebody like that in your life? I, this is a proverb of mine. There's never a problem until there's a problem. And then you discover how many, how, how many incapacities you have. You don't have anybody to call. You don't have anybody to lean on. You don't have anybody that will tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. And you know, that takes work. It really takes work to meet with people, to become friends, to put it on your calendar, to take time out of your calendar. You know, Americans, have, a, I think, have a really, uh, really they, they embrace a really stupid concept. Quality time. That's an American concept, quality time. Because I really don't have time for you, so we'll spend 12 minutes together and we'll make it really special. Or, you know, quality time. We've got to do something together. You know, there, there's, the Bible doesn't talk about quality time. It just talks about time and how God is in every moment. Every moment is an opportunity for God to do something in our lives. So, Job says this uh, in the book of Job. This is about Leviathan, and it has nothing to do with the message. Uh, it, this is really bad Bible interpretation, but it sort of, it sounds like it fits. Okay, so... Anyway, he's talking about Leviathan, this sea monster. His back has rows of shields tightly sealed together. Okay, Each so close to the next that no air can pass between. Hermetically sealed. They are joined fast to one another. They cling together, and they cannot be parted. This, to me, reminds me of the armor of God. It talks about the shield of faith. And what a lot of people don't know is that the the shield of faith, it's not about you personally take up the shield of faith, but every command about the armor of God is in the plural. You together hold up the, the shield of faith. Um, I don't know how to do this exactly. I need a shield. <clears throat> a shield. All right. Now, I, I need a volunteer. This gentleman right here is a fine guy. I need a volunteer here. Okay. So, <clears throat> I'm, uh, I'm left-handed, but I, so I'm going to do this the way it's supposed to be here. Okay, so I'm, I'm, holding the, I'm holding the shield with my right hand. Stand next to me. Stand behind the shield. And I'm holding the shield with my right hand, and I have a, a spear or a sword in my left hand. And this is the way, the, the way ancient armies fought. I didn't protect myself with shield. I protected the man on my left. And he protected the man on his left. And the man on my right is protecting me and my arm that has the, the sword or the, the spear. All right? That's great, man. A, brown, a brownie points, okay? So, um, I, I read this book uh, by Stephen Pressfield. It's called... Um, it's called The Gates of Fire. It's an epic novel about the Battle of Thermopylae. Uh, that was featured in the movie 300. It's another chick flick. Okay. Okay, how many of you have seen 300? Okay, so they're, they're fighting together. The men are fighting together. And the purpose is to protect the guy next to you. I don't know how many of you have seen American Sniper. It is one incredible movie. It's got just all this buzz. It is just an incredible movie. 
And uh, it's about this sniper, and his, his role is to protect American cr- troops. He killed 160 people at least, but he has no clue. He, it could be that he saved the lives of hundreds and thousands of people in the four tours of duty that he was in Iraq. And so uh, this book is about Thermopylae, and at a mountain pass called Thermopylae, which in Greek means hot gates, several hundred Spartans stood up for several days to tens of thousands of Persians under Darius. One day during military exercises before the great battle, the young Alexandros left his shield lying on the ground, topside down, a violation of Spartan code, punishable by death. Polynikes, his training officer, is selected to punish this crime. Polynikes, an Olympic champion and one of Sparta's finest warriors, brutally beats the young Alexandros, breaking his nose in several places. I ask you again, screamed Polynikes, is this a chamber pot? You know what that is, right? No, my lord, it's my shield. Again, Polynikes blasted the boy across the face. My, he demanded furiously, my shield? The boy stepped forward, shield at high port. He straightened, his, straightened to attention before Polynikes and enunciated in his loudest, clearest voice the ode to, the, to my shield. This is my shield. I bear it into battle. This was the shield of the Spartans with the lambda the Greek L on the front. I bear it into battle, but it is not mine alone. It protects my brother on the left. It protects my city. I will never let my brother out of its shadow, nor my city out of its shelter. I will die with my shield before me, facing the enemy. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. We need each other. We need to stand together. So everybody, say it with me, everybody needs somebody. See who that is? Even there are weird people who find each other. What a blessing. Okay? Why is this so necessary? Because life is a fight and a race. So Paul says, do your best to come to me quickly for Demas because he loved this world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. People have left the faith. They have left the church. You know, you're the only people remaining after eight years. You know, the people have come and gone. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark. That's the guy who deserted Paul earlier when he was younger and untested. And bring him to me uh, with you because he is helpful to my ministry. You know, there are people who left one. And then they come back and they want to be in the community again. They want to serve God and you're not sure you want them to do that. There are people who leave you and then they come back. They want to make things right. You know, life, this passage is about the difficulty of life. It's about the fight and the race, about all the people in your life, about the roller coaster, people who desert you, people who mean a lot to you, and all the feelings that you have about this. This is why he says to Timothy, come to me quickly. All right? Get Mark. And then verse uh, 12, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and, and my I, iPhone, especially um, my iPad. So anyway, look at, then, then he says, verse 14, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he's done. You two should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. And my first, uh, he strongly opposed my message, Alexander, the, the metal worker. Everybody has an Alexander, the metal worker in their life. 
sometimes you have three or four of them, people that just drive you crazy. And I've had people like that. I wish I could put their name in the Bible. So for like thousands of years, people could read about this scumbag. Okay? You know, it's amazing that this is in the Bible. Paul is, he is PO'd at Alexander, and he's writing about it in the Bible. God understands how difficult some people can be. It's incredible. I mean, some of you could put a name in there, okay? And then it says, at my first defense, no one came to support me, but everybody deserted me. Alexander, and then all these other people deserted me. Alexander influenced them. And then Paul says, may it not be held against him. Against them. I mean, again, this is how we go up and down. We say to God, God, would you just kill Alexander? Just take him out. And then there are all these other people. And Lord, don't hold it against them. That's schizophrenic. You know? But that's how we are as human beings. This is the fight and the race. So life, which is about giving life to others, is seldom painless. Secondly, I I need others. Okay? I need others. And this is the best part. The Lord stands with me. Okay, number three, the Lord stands with me. And I I, want to show show you this. um, um, Let's see, did I, I don't know if I missed some slides. I might have missed some slides in here, some fun slides. But anyway, the Lord stands with me. Um, I, I, I went online and I, I looked for it. Oh, don't put, turn, turn that down. I'm not ready for it. The worst thing about humor is to jump the gun. The gun. <laughs> You're fired, dude. All right, hold, hold on. Just, just a minute, okay. Now, you already saw that, okay. But, so I went online and I Googled Warrior Jesus because, you know, I want Jesus to stand with me. And, okay, now show him the picture. Okay. All right. <clears throat> And maybe you didn't notice, he also has an AK-47 in his left hand. And sometimes this is the Jesus that I want to send to my neighbor's house, okay? And we all feel this way. And then I, you can Google that, by the way, warrior Jesus, that'll come up. And then, and then I, I decided, well, that's not really religious. So let's look at the next one here, warrior Jesus. He's, he's, he's standing with us and for us. He ever lives to make intercession for the saints. And this is how this passage ends. But the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully preached, proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil. The Lord will rescue me. Would you say that with me? The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom And we finally get to the benediction. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen.